I'm on. I can hear it. You know, all week I've been sharing different elements of Jesus' life with the group that was here, and I have truly enjoyed being here at Lake Tahoe Camping. This has been a, a fun time, also an enriching time. You know, I, I think I've said this probably five times already, but uh, when I saw the theme, uh, when I believe it was Teresa Wilson, when she sent me out the theme, I said, wow, the theme is Jesus. Is there a better theme on earth? I was so excited about that. I started working, pulled out. I've probably got a, I, I would say probably a whole file drawer full of sermons about Jesus. And I, I was going through them. I said, okay, I like, uh, no, not this, uh, this uh, yeah. And I said, okay, let me just pray and ask God what he wants. Well, somehow I, I had mixed up a couple of things. I decided I was going to preach about Jesus, the Savior, last night. Instead, I looked at him as the foundation of the church. Today, I want to share with you my testimony. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. You'll see that as we go along. But it's an incredible thing to see how God works in an individual's life. I love the testimony a young lady told earlier, how God has been working in her life. Every one of you have a testimony of what God is doing for you. As we begin, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray for guidance today. We pray that you would lead us into a closer walk with you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start first by asking you, how many of you have been to my birthplace, my native state, New Jersey? Okay, most of you. How many of you have eaten pizza in New Jersey? All right, a few of you have lived, okay. So, if you, if you have in New York's not a bad second choice. And there you go. And we love, uh, you know, there are parts of New Jersey that are just fantastic. And what you may not realize... Uh, New Jersey, there's a lot of incredible people that came out of there. I was born in the same hospital as Flip Wilson. Any of you heard of Flip Wilson? Okay. That devil made me do it. Remember him? Okay. I was also born in the same, same hospital Frank Sinatra was born in. And also Martha Stewart. So there's some of the interesting people that were born in Jersey City. But there are also some people who were born in Jersey City named Nicky Scarfo and John Gambini and, you know, and Jimmy Hoffa and people like that. And so that tends to be what most people think of when they think of New Jersey. Oh, isn't that where they filmed The Sopranos? Yes. Aren't those guys kind of real? Isn't that based on... Well, sort of. You know, I knew some of those people. They were acquaintances. But you know, what was amazing to me, you know, it was mentioned, one of our seminar speakers throughout the week mentioned the World Trade Center bombing in 1993. It was orchestrated right there in the, the neighborhood, basically, where I grew up in Jersey City. And also 19 of the 20 9-11 terrorists had their passports and documents falsified in Hudson County, New Jersey, which is where Jersey City's under. So it, it does have that kind of a... Kind of that bad sort of, uh, you know, stigma attached to it. So we ask the question, what good thing can come from Jersey City, right? I had that asked to me several years ago. And I started thinking, Jesus knows where we're born, amen? He understands the environment that we're raised in. 
He knows who we are, and he's willing to work in any ghetto, bad neighborhood, drug-infested, gang-infested part of the world. Amen? Amen. And thankfully he is. You know, I was born, okay, I'm 52, so you can figure out when I was born, 1961. My dad was an electrician, journeyman electrician in uh, Jersey City. He was born and raised in North Carolina. My mother was from Kansas. And so when they would carve me out the window of our apartment building, tenement apartment building, I would hear if it was my dad, Eddie, you better get on in here. My mom would say, y'all better get over here, son. You know, and I'd answer, okay, mom. And then the kids would say, where are your parents from? Kids in my neighborhood, you know, they, they talked a little different. It was like, Hey, Eddie, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? You know, and, and that's what, and they hear this, y'all better get over here. And they're, what? What's that all about? And so it was hard for me growing up to explain that I wasn't really a Jerseyite, so to speak. My family from all over the country. But growing up, my father realized I was in a tough environment. And so the first thing he did was he said, okay, to make sure, and my father's a Baptist, by the way. I think I mentioned this one night. He considered himself a hard-shell Baptist, hard-shell Southern Baptist. My mother was a free will Methodist, okay? Now, they got along okay, but kind of interesting because one believed in freedom of choice and the other one was a Calvinist, which believed you had no choice, you're predestined. So it was kind of interesting how they got along. But when I became an Adventist, I guess that made me a Methabatha-Adventist because I still have so many of both teachings stuck in my head. Growing up, though, my dad realized that uh, Sunday school was probably not going to be enough. Let's keep Eddie occupied so he stays away from the gangs in the city. Put me in Little League Baseball. Pop water football. By the way, thank you for the beautiful music, group, because the, the offensive line of my pop water football team is made up of Tongans and Samoans. Okay? Oh, uh, yeah, they blocked pretty well. I enjoyed that. Well, I will tell you this. We had a wonderful time. As a kid, you know, the, me and my brother and my sisters growing up kind of avoided some of the pitfalls, if you will. But there reaches a time where you start saying, I can do it on my own. I don't need my parents. Sometimes it happens very young, 10, 12 years old, sometimes 15, 16. For me, it was roughly 15, 16. I was in high school, and I remember playing football at Dickinson High School in Jersey City, New Jersey. Small high school, only had about 5,000 students. We were in a, a community with five or six other high schools that had about 5,000 students each as well. And we had some pretty serious rivalries. Dickinson Rams would play the St. Peter's prep team, Ferris, the Ferris Bulldogs, the Lincoln Lions, and, you know, all these cities from Jersey City. We had some incredible rivalries. The police would come and watch our games because we get into big fights. But I remember as a young person growing up thinking, uh, you know, I think I'm, football is fun, baseball is fun, all these things are fun. But I want to try to walk on a little different side of the life. I want to, you know, you've heard the expression, sow the wild oats. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a pretty nice guy, really easygoing guy. I'm not sure what inspired me to go that direction other than a love of adventure. But I remember the kids in my neighborhood hanging out in the streets, drinking, smoking pot, taking drugs, getting into gang fights. And I thought, well, that looks pretty interesting. 
Now, who in their right mind would think that way? You know? Well, that's the problem. I wasn't in my right mind. So I would watch them from time to time, and I thought, you know, I'd love to get involved in this group, but I'm scared to death. I don't know what they do for an initiation. They probably beat you to death or something. So I avoided them. I kind of got around them. But then one day something happened in high school. I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Petracci. He was known as one of the meanest people in that school. He was our English teacher. Fourth floor of Dickinson High School, by the way, with two buildings. Fourth floor of the main building. And as it turns out, I remember him coming to class, just putting everybody on detention, the whole class. And I was like, what do we do? I just don't like the way you look. I was like, he was serious. They put a bunch of kids on detention. Well, there were three kids in that class that said to me, Eddie, let's get even with him. He always comes to class early and puts his desk down, and then he goes back to the teacher's lounge. Okay, what are we going to do? Let's glue his stinking briefcase to the, to the desk. All right, so we went out, and about that time, there was a new invention called crazy glue. Okay? <laughs> so we went out and bought some tubes of crazy glue and glued his briefcase to the desk. He came in, and then after class, he tried to get, and he ripped the top of the desk up to get his briefcase up. Couldn't figure out why it wasn't coming up. Well, guess what? More detention. Not too long after that, these same three kids had, this, had another idea. Okay, we're going to fix him for good. We had these gigantic windows in Dickinson High School. By the way, one of the most beautiful skyline New York views you'll ever imagine is out of the top floor of Dickinson High School. It was right next to the Holland Tunnel, Lower Manhattan, Empire State Building over to this side. The, the World Trade Center is right there. We actually watched them being built going up while I was in high school. It was pretty impressive. But I still remember. Uh, emergency announcement. Yeah, we have a uh, Pontiac, Silver Pontiac Grand Prix, license number 510 SBU. It's parked in a guest campsite. And there's a campground. And I guess to that site, have a ride. Oh, okay. Someone have a Silver Pontiac? All right. You might need to move that. It may not be in this campground, but okay. So as it turns out, we watched the uh, tra World Trade Center being built. It was an incredible experience to see that. My father worked on them as an electrician. He worked on the Empire State Building. He worked on the Meadowlands, Giant Stadium, some of those big buildings, famous buildings over there he, he had an opportunity of working on. Well, growing up there, I thought, uh, you know, this would be interesting. You know, we're looking out at the beautiful skyline of New York. You know, where I grew up, you could see the Statue of Liberty. The New Yorkers say, well, yeah, but you got the worst end because we see the backside of Lady Liberty, okay? And Jersey, we say, yeah, but she's in Jersey water. You know, so there's always that fight going back and forth between New York and New Jersey. Well, as it turns out, I remember one day saying, we're going to open this big window. These three kids said, we're going to throw the teacher's desk out the window. We were so fed up with Mr. Petrachi, we were going to throw his desk out the window. We got it to the window with some help from some of that big, heavy wooden desk back in those days and launched it out the window. When it hit the ground, it exploded. Everyone, yeah, you can hear the kids because nobody liked this teacher. Yeah, way to go. We turned around and guess what? The disciplinarian, and we had three cops that monitored the halls of that school to tell you what kind of school it was. One of the three cops and the principal were all standing there saying, We've been waiting for an opportunity to get you guys out of school. Today's the day. They took us to tell you what Dickinson High School is like. They had their own holding cell. So how many high schools have a holding cell in it? 
They put us in the holding cell and called our parents. I was so afraid, I said, Lord, please don't let my dad be home. He'll beat the snot out of me. My mom will be a lot more merciful. As it turns out, dad wasn't home. Mom came, got me, took me out, filled out the papers. and said, well, your son could go to Votech or whatever, but he's never coming back to Dickinson High School. I remember going home that day thinking, this is it. I don't know where I'm going with my life. It's over. And at that point, I thought, you know what? This might be the opportunity to get into that gang in my neighborhood. They were called the Nomads. I went and talked to them. I said, hey, listen, uh, what does it take to join this gang? They said, well, here's what it is. We tie one hand to one telephone pole, one hand to another telephone pole. We throw a blanket over and we beat the snot out of you. If you don't make any noise, you don't cry out, you're in. I'm going, okay, well, I'll leave. So I started to walk away. They say, hey, but we heard that you've got a reputation. They were confusing me with my brother, who was very good, very good at getting in the cars and starting them up and driving them around. And they said, hey, we heard you have a reputation. If you can steal a car, one of the gang, neighboring gangs, it's called the Heitsters, was the name of the gang. If you take the gang leader's car, big old Cadillac Fleetwood, they don't make cars like that anymore. Because there's not enough metal to make them. But as it turns out, had this big old 1966 Cadillac Fleetwood, and he said, if you steal his car, you won't have to go through the rest of the initiation. You're automatically in. All we want you to do is drive down through the Stuyvesant Avenue, drive down Stuyvesant Avenue, beat the horn wave. Roll down the window so we can see you. Okay. It's a deal. I went back to my brother. I said, uh, Wally, if I was to try to get into a car, let's say a friend of mine uh, locked their keys in their car, you know, how would I get in there? He looked at me and he said, Eddie, you're going to get in trouble. He said, I know what you're thinking. He said, in fact, I'm through with that life. I'm not doing that anymore. I said, well, I just want to know. So he took me out and experimented on a few of my neighbor's cars. I remember one was a Buick Skylark. This is a nice looking car. By the way, a Pontiac, a Buick, a Ford, a Dodge, a Chevy. You know, I went through and he showed me how to get him home and how to lock him. I said, okay, well, that's good. But what if I wanted to start one? He goes, well, let me show you how to do that too. And he said, I probably shouldn't do it. But he took me to his car and showed me which wires to cut and clip and so forth. I said, okay, thanks. He goes, this might be the last time I see you, Eddie. Uh, just in case uh, I don't see you again. Uh, good luck with whatever it is you have planned. That night I went up to the Heights section of Jersey City, where the Heightsters were from. I saw the Cadillac Park. Guys were in a park. Climbed over the fence. Got in there. Keg of beer. Marijuana pot. Smoking pot. Drinking. So forth. They're in there. They're kind of half-wasted, so I figure they probably won't even notice. So I knew I could get the lock open real easy. That was no problem. So I said, I'll get the lock open, pop the lock, and then if I get down low, I can work on the wire until I get this thing started. I popped the lock, and... I was like, oh, mercy! Close the door, and I could see them all running at me. I said, I don't know how... I got 15 seconds by the time they climb over that fence. So I'm pulling and pushing, and, and, and eventually got it started. Threw it in reverse, hit the car behind me, threw it in forward, spun out, and I was gone. Drove down my street, Stuyvesant Avenue, or the street this gang hung, hung out on, rolled the window down, waved at him, and then the gang leader gave me the thumbs up. Now, at the time, I thought, wow, this is really cool! It was probably, the next three years were probably the worst three years of my life. 
I took some beatings that you should not have to take. I always protected my nose, though. I only broke my nose twice, you know, so that was good. But I was stabbed twice. Stabbed, just missed my belly button one. One got me in the arm because they got my arm up just in time. Took a chunk of meat out of my arm. Still have the scar there today. It was an incredibly bad three years. I don't know how I survived it. There were times where I look back and say, you know, how did God get me through that? But I remember one of those experiences I had that kind of led me toward getting back on track with Jesus. My parents, I'm sure my mom was praying for me all the time. She saw me come in. You get the colors, the gang jacket and all the rest to hang out with these gangs. And she would see it. She would know something was going on. She'd smell the stuff on my breath and all the rest of it. And what, what happened to my son? Well, it turns out, about that time, the Atlantic City was building casinos and, you know, building all these new hotels and so on. My dad and my mom moved to Atlantic City. So I stayed in Jersey City, hung out with my gangster friends. And while I was there, I realized, okay, you know, I've got to do something for a living. So I went down to a plastic company, started driving a forklift at a plastic company. My friend said, you don't have to do that. We can get you a better job. I said, doing what? They said, would you just come with us? We'll, you know, we'll hold up liquor stores and so forth, and we'll make a lot of money. I said, that's a good job. Yeah, that sounds like a reasonable. Do, do you apply? Where do you fill out the application? What, are you crazy? So I said, no, I ain't going to do that. And sure enough, I was walking down the street one day, and one of those big limousines come by. This was a Lincoln. I remember it very well. Lincoln limousine rolls down. A window comes down, and one of those guys that looked like this said, hey, Eddie, get in the car. I looked at him and said, how do you know me? I know everybody. Get in the car. I said, I'm not getting in your car. What, do you think I'm stupid? Guy gets out, and he was a well-known, well, call him a collection agent, okay? He got out of the car. He was the guy in my neighborhood that would break people's arms and legs when they didn't pay up on their gambling bets, okay, when they lost money. Jumped out of the car. Looked like a monster. I was scared. I said, okay, I'll go for a ride with you. <laughs> sure. So I get in the limo. I sit down. The guy says, listen, we've got an operation. We're going to make you a deal you can't refuse. Said, okay. What is that? They said, you come with us. You'll be making four or $500 a night. And back in those days, 1980, we're talking, that was a lot of money. I said, what do I have to do? It's easy. He said, we heard you have a reputation. You're pretty good at stealing cars. I said, you know, I, I've only done that for joy rides. You know, up to that point, that's all I did. I said, I, I don't want to get involved in anything like organized crime. He goes, are you calling me an organized crime mobster? No, sir. He goes, well, I am, but I didn't want you to call me that. <laughs> I said, okay, so what do I do? He goes, it's easy. You don't even have to really steal the car. We're doing in what we call insurance jobs. We tell you where the car is parked. We give you the type of key to get into the car. You know, a special little gadget that opens the door. We give you the way to start the car. You drive it to a strip shop. They take it apart. We'll leave you an envelope that has your name on it. You take it. There's your money. Any envelope will be your next job. I'd say that's pretty reasonable. I mean, $500 a day? That can't, what can go wrong with that? Sure enough, I showed up to where I was supposed to get this envelope. I got, I got it. The envelope had nothing in it, the first one. And it said, here's the car we want you to get. It's parked at such and such avenue, blah, blah, blah. Went over. It was a Pontiac Bonneville, brand new. Went in. 
had the keys that they gave me. Everything worked. Started the car. Drove it. Beeped the horn. It was supposed to beep it twice. Wait exactly five seconds. Beep twice more. Wait exactly five seconds. Beep once more. So beep, beep. Waited five seconds. Beep, beep. Waited five seconds. Beep. Door comes open. Drive the car in. Dozens of cars being stripped down. Insurance jobs. This was in Newark, by the way, not, not in Jersey City where I grew up. We, I drove the car in. I look. On the wall, there's my name. The guy that took the car from me said, hey, are you the new guy? Yeah. Okay, Eddie, you got an envelope on the wall. Took the envelope off the wall. Five $100 bills. To a 19-year-old kid, that looked pretty good. I said, this is amazing. Took the money, and I started to walk out of there, and I said, what am I doing? Something snapped in my mind. I said, this is crazy. No one ever gets out of this. They either die or go to jail. So I, I, put it, I just found a little piece of chalk and wrote on it. I quit and put it back in the road with the $500 in it and walked out. I got on the bus, went home. I said, wow, what, what, what is going to happen in my life? I'm in big trouble. I said, well, maybe they'll just leave me alone. Next morning I wake up, I had, a, I had an old uh, Cougar, 1968 Mercury Cougar, sitting outside my house. It was on fire. They had spray painted on the ground and black paint on the sidewalk, you can't quit. And I thought, I'm dead. What do I do now? First thing I do, I get, get a phone, I call, call my parents. I said, Mom, Dad, I'm in big trouble. Can I come, can I come live with you? They were living in Atlantic City, about a two hours uh, you know, from uh, Jersey City. They said, come on down. Just leave the drugs, the alcohol, the, you know, the, your crony friends of yours, but you're always welcome to come back. Amen? Isn't that what a parent should do? Amen. I was so thankful for my mom and dad. Come on down, Ed. You're going to be okay. We'll give you time to get your act together. Got on the bus, went home. I remember talking to my mom and dad saying, my life is in absolute utter disarray i don't know what to do i don't have a diploma from high school got kicked out of high school i don't have you know i don't have a job i don't have any kind of trade my dad said well i'll show you how to do the electrical trade my brother's a mechanic i'll show you how to do the mechanic trade uh, you know we'll show you how to work with your hands get a good job so i started working on that and then i get a phone call from my former gang they somehow located me and said hey eddie one of the kids in our gang's been stabbed his name was wayne Wayne's been stabbed. He was like a little, almost like a mascot. He wasn't really a gang member. He was like a 12-year-old kid. He says, Ben stabbed. The aces stabbed him. We're going to get him. We have a fight. We're going to do it on, it was a Thursday night, I remember, April 23rd. Said, okay, I'll be there. Got on a bus again. Drove to Jersey City. Or got, took the bus to Jersey City. Got off the bus. Met my friends. I said, where's the fight going to be? It's going to be in a place they call Mosquito Park, believe it or not. I said, Okay. I'm ready to go. I was ready to fight to defend my friend's honor. We get to the park that night, and the police were there. Apparently, they must have been tipped off there was going to be a gang fight. So the fight didn't happen, and I am so thankful. Who knows if that was the night I was meant to die. The devil had planned for me to have a knife go through my throat. I don't know. You know, we had our own, you know, how baseball, you have an earn-run average and our RBIs and all this stuff. We had our own way of... How we won the fight. An RBI was a rib busted in. Uh, an ERA was an eye ripped apart. A TD was a, not a touchdown, totally disabled. And we, you know, we had a way of trying to deal with this craziness of, of fighting and being a part of a gang. I got there. The gang, didn't, gang fight didn't happen. I said, oh, man, for whatever reason, I thanked God. I hadn't talked to God in four or five years at that point. 
I said, well, thank you, God. I know you're up there, but thank you. Somehow you got me out of this mess. And I remember I had a friend who was a deeply devoted Catholic. His name was Al Chambers. He played on the same baseball team I played on in high school. And he said, well, come to my house. Went to his house. His mother, her, her name was Loretta, said, I'm going to pray for you, Eddie. And she did a, some kind of a Catholic prayer. And I didn't really understand. I wasn't raised Catholic. I was raised, like I said, Methodist, Baptist. But she had this special prayer and did the rosary and the Hail Marys and all the rest. And I said, oh, boy, you know, I, I really need help. And Loretta Chambers was her name didn't even own a Bible, told me, you know where you can find help? I said, where? She said, do you have a Bible? I said, no. Get a Bible. You'll find help in the Bible. Amen? She didn't even own a Bible. All she had was catechism books and things like that. So I said, okay. The next morning, April 24th, the Friday morning, 1981, I go to the bookstore, the Bible bookstore in Jersey City, New Jersey. I had my colors on, my gang member jacket. I went to the Bible bookstore thinking, I wonder if I have enough money to buy a Bible. Maybe they sell partial Bibles, you know, whatever. So I, I get to the Bible bookstore, and that was the name of it, the Bible bookstore. I walked into the Bible bookstore, and you could see people scattered. They thought they were getting robbed. People ran by this way, that way, behind the counter, one brave 20-year-old, approximately young girl, petite girl, stood behind the counter like this. And she didn't say a word. She watched me walk around, walking up and down the aisles. And then I come to her and I say, excuse me, young lady, do you sell Bibles? <laughs> she wanted to say, duh, Bible bookstore, you know? But instead she said, of course we do. What kind of Bible are you looking for? I said, the ones that have, like, God's words on it, you know, those Bibles? I said, I know when I was young, there was one called the, the, the James King of George Bible, something like that. I can't remember. And she said, oh, you mean the King James? Yeah, that's the one. She said, okay. So she took me to the section, pulled out the King James, and what do you think I turned to? This is, how, this is funny, because you think when you open the Bible, sometimes God puts you right in the right path. Sometimes the devil does. I opened the Romans 7. That's tough in the King James. That which I would if I do if, if not. <laughs> I, said, I said, did the person who write this had a lisp? What, what is a TH here? You know, I don't understand this. She goes, well, maybe you want a different kind of Bible. I said, okay, what's that? We got a new one. It's called The Way. I said, okay, let me try that. She pulls one off the shelf, and it's a, on the cover. Picture of two teenagers kind of hanging out with bell bottoms. I said, cool, I don't have bell bottoms. So I took this thing, and I started opening it. I said, hey, I can read this. This is cool. So I started reading it, started going through it. I said, I'll take it. Go to the counter, put the Bible down. So how much is that? Six ninety-five. So okay. I got a buck. 75 cents, switchblade knife, brass knuckles, a few other, you know, accoutrements from those days. And she goes, you know what? Why don't you take it for free? We have a special today. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, thank you. I put all my stuff back. 
in fact, it was interesting because she said, can you put your stuff back? I'm not going to hand it to you. Maybe she was afraid it had been used in a robbery. So put all the stuff in my pocket. And I started out of the store. Now I was about a block away from the bookstore. When, remember the other people who were in the store that went and hid? They all come running behind me. They catch up to me, and they start passing me all this literature. They give me all these tracks. They handed me a handful of tracks. I said, well, thank you very much. It's free. It's a gift. It goes with your Bible. I said, okay, thank you. So I continued walking. I'm looking down at these tracks, and this one's about this and that, and, you know, you know what, hey, what is hell like? And I said, I don't want to know that. So I threw it all in the garbage. I kept my Bible, and I kept walking. That afternoon, I went and hung out with my friends again, the Chambers, and I said, you know, i got to get my life together. Just pray. You pray for me once, pray for me again. I decided that evening I'd get on a bus, go home. I got on the wrong bus. Any of you who live in the city, there's the local and there's the express, or sometimes the commuter and the express. Well, as it turns out, the only bus, the first bus available was the local. It stops at, every, and in New Jersey, especially North Jersey, you don't know when one city starts and the next one ends, or the one ends and the next one starts. It's an incredible challenge. So we're going around. Stop after stop after stop after stop. Finally, a guy gets on the bus. I'm sitting on the aisle seat. You know, when you're tall, you like the aisle seat. So I'm sitting there on the aisle seat, and it's pretty crowded. He gets in and sits beside me. That was the last stop before a long distance from there to Tom's River. It was about a 45-minute ride from that stop to Tom's River, and then Tom's River to, to Atlantic City. It was another hour or so. So it was a little smooth from that point. I get on the bus, I'm sitting there, I'm saying, okay, let me go through this Bible. And then it had different sections, and then I'll say, well, if you're discouraged, read this. If you're having problems, read this. If you're going through serious trouble in your life, read this. You know what book it said for me to read if you're going through serious trouble in your life? The book of Job. And I was looking, I said, what? So I open up, and I said, this is interesting. I start reading about it. The first chapter was bad enough, but then it got worse and worse and worse. And I said, this poor guy, I think I got it bad. He really had it bad. So I closed it up. I said, I'm not going to read the book of Job anymore. So I said, I'm just riding home. That's it. I'm getting out of here. So I started, stayed on the bus, and then I opened it up again, and, and then I saw this section. Well, if you want to know what life's all about, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know that. So I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Genesis, you know, or, or the front of the book. And I started reading Genesis, read a few few verses, and I closed it again. Then all of a sudden something happened to me. I, it's the only time this has ever happened in 52 years of life. But I, I almost sensed someone was talking to me. I heard, Eddie, if you want to be at peace with your world, you need to be born again. So I was, you know... Being raised Methabaptist, you know, I've heard that born again, but I said, what does that mean? And it got stronger and stronger. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. To the point, I, I was thinking I was going crazy, and then I said, no, this can't be right. So I tapped the guy next to me. I said, did you say anything? And the guy looked at me. I didn't say anything. I said, well, you better not say anything, because I think God's trying to talk to me. <laughs> and he's, he looked up at me, and he said, Okay. And if he tells you anything, tell me what it was that he said. So we get to Tom's River. He gets off. We keep going down. We get to Atlantic City. We get off the bus in Atlantic City. And I'm just puzzled. I have this Bible in my hand. I sit down in the bus station instead of walking home. And I start reading. I said, I'm going to find this you must be born again thing. I know it's in the Bible. 
I remember hearing it as a kid. Started at Genesis 1. It would have taken a long time to get to John chapter 3. I got up to about Abraham, you know, uh, Abraham. And when it went from Abram to Abraham, I said, man, I'm never going to find this. I closed it up and I said, okay, that's it. I'll just ask someone. I'll go to a preacher and ask a preacher. Well, sure enough, I went home. I asked my, I walked in. It was about, um, oh, no, before I got home, I, I decided that I'd go. There were these little chapels and stuff in Atlantic City open. I walk in. All they do is weddings and stuff. So they didn't, they didn't want to help me. They said, you getting married? No. Okay, get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. So it turns out I started to walk home, and then as I'm walking down the road, I see two guys passing out literature. This is about 11.45 at night. I don't even think about that. Atlantic City is one of those cities. It's like, it's like you know, rain, um, Las Vegas. It's going all the time. You know, so buses going, cabs, cars, people moving. So it wasn't surprising to see people on the street, but it was surprising to see two fairly well-dressed men passing out literature on the streets of Atlantic City. So I'm walking down toward them, and I said, oh, boy, I got all these crazy thoughts going through my head, and I got a couple of Jim Jones disciples. Yeah, I'm going across the street. So I went across the street. I don't want any of these crazy, wacko, you know, cults, you know, after me. So I crossed the street. One of those two guys, they split up. One of them came across the street after me. Now, I have to tell you, any of you played Monopoly? Can I see your hands? Monopoly is based on Atlantic City. Mediterranean Avenue, there's a reason why it only costs $12, <laughs> you know, the mortgage. It is a bad neighborhood in Atlantic City. While I'm walking down the street, this guy follows, comes over after me, and we meet right there at the corner of Mediterranean and New York Avenue. And he looks up and he says, uh, I just have something I want to share with you. Hands me a piece of literature. It was a full 8 and a half by 11, had a picture of Jesus holding a lamb, said the good shepherd underneath it, had Psalm 23 printed on the back. He hands me the literature and he says, do you know you must be born again? Now, if he was going to sell me a refrigerator, I would have bought it. I mean, he, he had me. I looked, I said, what did you say? And then he was getting a little nervous because I was pretty animated. He goes, um, I said, you must be born again. I grabbed him by the shoulder. I said, say that one more time. <laughs> and he was like, a little nervous, but he said, I think he said a Nehemiah prayer. He says, and then he went, you must be born again. He sounded like a little bit of question in his voice, but you must be born again. I said, okay, why did you tell me that right now? Like right here, right now. He goes, because we all need to be born again. If we're going to see the kingdom of heaven, we're going to. I said, come here. I want to talk to you. So I grabbed him and we started walking down an alleyway. Now, I'm sure he didn't know where he was going. We get on the island, and I said, you know, all night, I've had this going through my head. You must be born again. I want to know why you told me this right now. He goes, well, we just share the gospel. We go, we pass out. He was so nervous, I thought he was going to die. And I didn't have to help him in that. <laughs> he was really scared. He's going, well, 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 well you, you know, what do you mean you've been hearing this all night? Did you go to a sermon? No, I was sitting on a bus. They were telling you on the bus you had to be born again? No. God is talking to me. What does this mean? He said, okay, I'll share with you. He opens his Bible to John chapter 3, and he says, there was a certain man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This same man came to Jesus by night and said, Master, we know you are a great man come from God, for no one can do the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a man is born again. That's it! 
said, where is that? Show me. So he showed me in his Bible where it was. He had a revised standard version. Show me in the Bible. I'm reading. I said, that's it. That's it. That's what I wanted to know. I knew it was in the Bible, but I couldn't figure out where. He said, well, have you experienced new birth? Probably not. He said, well, there's no bad time. Why don't we pray right here? He said, in an alleyway in Atlantic City, someone will come by and stab us. He said, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I think God is talking to you. So I looked at him and I said, well, thank you, but I have your literature. I'll give you a call. It was like the fish was getting off, you know, the, the hook. He, he didn't want to let go. He goes, no, 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 we have to pray now. I said, no, no, I know where the verse is now. And then I pulled out my Bible. And he goes, you have a Bible? I said, don't be so surprised. So I, show, I said, now I want you to show me in my Bible. And he did, and it was a little different in the way version. But it said basically the same thing. I said, I'll give you a call. I started to walk away. I'm walking the way home, or my parents' home. I'm walking the way home, and these two guys, his partner, joined him, and they're following me. I'm like, this is crazy. Maybe they are cold. So I just kind of started walking a little faster. And in those days, they sold two kinds of sneakers. Chuck Taylor, All-Star Converse, and PF Flyers. I had my PF Flyers on. I said, they ain't going to catch me. I'll just start running. So I started running, and these guys had nice shoes on, and I could hear them slapping the pavement, pop, 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 as they're running. And looking back, I'm going, they're chasing me. They're all crazy. Who would chase a gang member? So I started running. <laughs> and I went harder and harder. Got to Brighton Avenue where my parents lived, cut down Brighton Avenue. I could see the, out of the corner of my eye. I'm almost there, and they haven't made the corner yet. So I get to the corner, and then they've made their corner as I make the next corner. And for whatever reason... You know, I played football in high school. I had pretty good coordination, but I tripped, stumbled, the angel stuck out his foot, but I went flying. <laughs> Landed flat on my back. As I'm landing a little bit dazed, I said, I've got to get up before these guys get here. But I can hear the shoes getting closer. Pop, 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 pop. And sure enough, they, they start slowing down. Pop, 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 pop. And the two guys are looking straight down at me, and they say, are you ready to pray yet? All I could do was pray and say, yes, okay, I'm ready. I said, I have no choice. God won't let me out. So I knelt down with them right down Brighton Avenue in Atlantic City, New Jersey, on April 24, 1981, and gave my heart to Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, when they said the prayer, I kept my eyes open. I said, well, you know, they said, this was a repeat after me prayer. Have you ever had those? They did a sinner's prayer. Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. They asked me, did do you know you're a sinner? I say, yeah, I score very high in that. Go, go on. You know. So he kept asking me all these questions. Got to the point, do you know you need a Savior? Yes, I need a Savior. We started praying together. And I remember them saying in their prayer, and I repeated after them. After I said the amen, I said, what just happened? God was willing to come look for a sinner and save his life. I walked. I get, you know, they, they gave me phone numbers. We exchanged phone numbers. I walked into my parents' house, midnight, going to the house. My mother sees me, and she looks at me and says, Eddie, you look different. How do people see that? You know, it's amazing how God works, right? Eddie, you look different. I said, Mom, I got something I got to tell you, but I can't tell you now. I walked up, in, and they had a little two-bedroom downstairs, one-bedroom upstairs, kind of like a little cottage uh, house. I walk up to the bedroom upstairs, which was the guest room, and I went and put my stuff down. 
sat there, looked up, and on my wall was something that was given to me by a Methodist pastor the year before. You know, he had, he had come to the house. My mother was worried about me and said, hey, you've got to help my son know who Jesus is. I, I shrugged him on. I said, ah, I don't want to have anything to do with it. He gave me this little plaque that said, do something beautiful. I took it off the wall, and amazingly, the day he had dated it, the date he gave it to me was also April 24th, 1980. 365 days to the exact day. It took a year for God to get through. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes 40, 50, 60 years to get through to a hard heart. But God is willing to do it. He's willing to step out of His comfort zone to save us. All we have to do is say yes, Jesus. Amen? I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel all over the world now as a result of Him touching my life. And I want to tell you, I have never looked back. There have been times I've been a sorry Christian, I'll be honest with you, but I've never never been sorry I've been a Christian. Let's pray together. I want you in your own heart to say, hey, if this is the day here in August 2013 that you've never given your life to Jesus, we'll do it today. If you've done it before, as the Sabbath school, one of the Sabbath school uh, teachers was saying, we die daily, be born again daily. Make today a special day to give your life anew to Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, today as you've worked in miraculous ways, I'm sure, in each one of these dear brothers and sisters around me in their lives. Father, today we ask you to do it again. Come into our heart anew today. Help us to recognize a new and fresh experience with you here, right now in this place. And Father, may we be like those Two guys who weren't afraid to share their faith in the middle of a tough section of town. May we be willing to go on errands of mercy and gospel uh, teaching throughout our communities as well. Father, we want to see, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Him in our lives, and we want to help others to know who He is because we truly want to see Him come again. Lord, it's not long until that song will be fulfilled. That midnight cry is about to be. It'd be sounded, and sure enough, the Savior will come through the sky. Help us each one to say today yes to Jesus so we'll be ready for that event. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.